Hi, everybody. This is Charlie from the Thriving School Community Podcast. We are talking about empathy today. Yep, yep, we are because it underlies so many things that we do as human beings and we're either, you know, lacking it or we need to do better at it. And we're going to talk with Leanne Butterworth today. Just say hello because you're an amazing person. I'm so glad to reconnect with you. Say hello. Hello, Charlie. How are you? (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't you know, prescribed or anything. My goodness. Say hello to me now. (laughs) Say hello. Darn it. Listen, this is great. We've known each other for a while here and I've been following Leanne's work. And so everybody needs to understand that when we're talking about mental health in schools and in altering, transforming how we're going to engage better as human beings and have a thriving school community, we've got to look at empathy. So let me just give you a quick little background here. So Leanne is an empathy educator now, but you've absolutely done, like you're a TEDx speaker, you're a university lecturer. I know that you do a lot of great work um, with police and you've been all over. You've been in Australia because you live there, Canada, the United States, all over the place. So tell me real quick here, Leanne, I see in your bio that you showcase your work to the Duke of York. Tell us about that real quick. Mention the Duke of York by name anymore. I used to, um, but no, I used to have a virtual, <laughs> he's that one, <laughs> that royalty. Um, I had a virtual reality simulation of psychosis that I used to do. And I took that all over and I was invited to showcase as part of um, his entrepreneurship innovation program. So it was called Pitch the Palace. And um, yeah, got to meet him in person and show him virtual reality. And uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a surreal experience because there were certain things you weren't allowed to do. They're like, you must address him as your highness the first time and sir the second time. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) getting glares from like the secret. Oh my gosh. People. (laughs) If you watch that documentary, right with, right with the whole Meghan Markle thing. And I've, have you seen that? Have you seen it? I've seen bits of it. I couldn't. Okay. You couldn't get through it. I know it's really not my thing, but I was so fascinated by, well, I hear what's going on out here in the social media stuff. And so let me just see what they're, let, let me hear their own voice. And it was helpful that way, but she said yeah. the same thing, how many rules there are. And so how, how did you get chosen for that? By the way, that's really neat. That was through the university. So um, my project was, one of the more unique ones at the time in terms of virtual reality. So this was in 2018. Um, but yeah, some amazing things happening in the in the space in terms of um yeah, there was physiotherapy like tech and there was uh like hearing tech, like ocular tech. Um yeah, some great, some great conversations were had in that room. So mm-hmm. I've time. heard a lot about how they're using that for mental health. So do you want to give us a little background about why you are so passionate about talking about mental health and coupling that with empathy? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is exercise physiology back in the day. Um, I'm a Virgo. And the reason I say that is because my whole life I was told perfection, achievement, that's what a Virgo is. Like we're very intellectual and that's that's what I always read. So that's kind of what I internalized um, because, and that sort of codependent, like you, we're into helping others and um, emotions of weakness. And so we're that, that perfectionist. Mm. Um, and so I always believed that that's who I was. And I kind of lived into that uh, because I, because that was the persona that I 
took on and I believed. Um, I was very achievement focused. And then um, I saw empathy as a weakness and (laughs) emotions were scary. And so what happened was um, I started working on a project uh, that was to do with mental health, the virtual reality project. And I learned about social enterprise and I was like all of these things kind of collided because what had happened was because I was this perfectionist, I didn't really deal with emotions very well. And uh, after I had my children, I got postnatal depression because every undealt with emotion (laughs) that I'd had bubbled to the surface and I was surrounded by people. So I was struggling. I was very angry, um, very sad, crying at the drop of a hat, very lonely. But I had everybody around me going, oh, you'll be fine. The days are long. The years are short. We all got through it. Cherish these moments. Mm. Um, just have a drink. Um, you'll miss You'll miss it when it's gone. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And so as a result, I didn't get diagnosed until my second child was three. So mm. I had sort of four and a bit years of postnatal depression. Wow. So if we couple that and me going, hang on. And it actually happened in one of my university lectures in 2018. We were talking about your why, talking about social enterprise. And she said, well, why do you care? I said, oh, because everybody needs to be more empathetic. Everybody needs to understand this. She goes, no, but why do you care? Like, why is this you that needs to talk about this? I said, oh, you know, because I have this project. And she went, no, why? I said, because I had postnatal depression and I was completely dismissed and feeling dismissed sucks. Mm. And I know that an act of empathy saved my life. And she went, there you go. And I went, oh, ooh. Yeah, that was <laughs> so, Yeah. So understanding my story, the power that empathy had in my life, doing research um, as part of my university. And then at the beginning of COVID, uh, I couldn't do VR anymore. So VR sort of got put to the side and I went, right, what actually is this? What are people getting wrong? What is it? What are the themes that are coming through? And I pulled it all apart and went, this empathy thing, there's more to it. Uh, And then put it all back together as empathy first. So what is healthy empathy? What is sustainable empathy? What are the myths around empathy? What are the misperceptions? Who's doing it well? What's its role in leadership, customer service, design, innovation, um, sales, team cohesion, schools, parents? Where does that all sit? What are people like? What is this? And put it all back together as empathy first um, and went, right, I know why I'm doing this because I needed it, because these are the messages that I needed. And I know that what I'm doing has a massive impact. So I had to get brave and go, right, I need to tell my story. I can't hide it. I need to be the voice of this. It's not just me employing other people to spread a message. It's no, no, no. I need to be the voice of this. My story needs to be told. My story has impact and the empathy stuff reinforces that. So the three types and the the whys and the hows. And so I've created all this content around how on earth do you do this? Why does it matter? And what even is it in the first place? And that's in turn helped me with my codependency, with my outlook, with my relationships and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I'm learning is because I want to learn it. Right. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff that I teach 
It's because I need to (laughs) learn it. You need to learn it and you've seen the value for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not me getting up and going, you need to be more empathetic. It's no, no, no. How do we do this? And I need to understand this. And this is not a language that I use and it's not a language I grew up with. So how do I do it in a way that I understand it, my kids understand it, my friends understand it? Cool. Then it has impact. Wow. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot I want to dive into there. Let's let's <laughs> let's go this way. Let's go this way. What are people getting wrong about empathy? Uh so much. So much. So people are afraid of it because they don't understand it. They don't understand that it's a learned skill. They think you're either born with it or you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh even the definition of it. So empathy's only been around for sort of 150 years-ish. There's lots of different mental models of it we're still trying to understand it but if I was to ask 50 people what is empathy I'd get 50 different answers and most of them are probably correct and so not even understanding what it is to start with so they the three types I mean there's lots of different mental models but I use the three types because again that's how I conceptualize it If you've got emotional, feeling the feelings, you've got cognitive, what's it like to be you, put yourself in someone else's shoes, which are two very, very common definitions, but they're very different neurologically. Mm, They use very different parts of the brain. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. So if if we want to have a conversation about empathy and teachers and one person's talking about, well, I need to feel the feelings and one person's like, no, 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 what's it like to be a student? They're very different things that need different discussions. And so the bit that's, and they both have healthy and unhealthy. You can have unhealthy emotional empathy. You can feel too much. You can feel for someone. You can have unhealthy cognitive empathy. I know what it's like to be you and I'm going to filter your experience through my lens and feed it back to you. Why don't you just do this? And you're like, "Mm." so that's consuming, right? Like that will consume you emotionally. Okay. Absolutely. So assumptions, values, um, like your values placed on someone else, judgments, ego, unconscious bias, that all sits in unhealthy cognitive. In the middle, I like to go, right, compassionate empathy or healthy compassionate empathy or sustainable compassionate empathy, the ability to share and understand the feelings and perspectives of another person and respond appropriately. And responding appropriately might be doing nothing it might be a hug it's not an action plan it's not a it it's practicing self-care is responding appropriately as well having good boundaries is responding appropriately so that's the that's the thing that people don't understand it's a learned skill because if you want to share the emotions of someone else you better understand your own emotions first you better understand emotional literacy false beliefs about emotions You better learn how to respond in a way that makes someone feel heard, valued, visible, and safe. And you better learn that if you're going to try and understand the perspective of someone else, you have to get rid of your own bias to do it and genuinely listen to that human as an individual with their own experience and that their experience is just as valid as yours. And that's where healthy empathy sits. And that is a learned skill. That's something that takes practice. And that's something that I try to frame in an accessible way that's not scary. 
I'm not asking more of people. I'm not asking you to care more. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm asking you to figure out how to do it in a sustainable way so that we build connection and strengthen relationships and practice good self-care and we don't burn out in the process. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know there's all these organizations that you work with and you can absolutely roll this out in all of those organizations. So clearly this is about schools, which... There's so many other people we're connected to in the community, right? But we're listening to this podcast or people listening, they are invested in improving school mental health and making decisions around that for their staff and students, which you've already touched upon. Tell me how you might roll that out in schools and how it would benefit them to get this kind of training as a skill. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at schools, um, there's usually there's three directions of empathy, but for schools, there's four. So for schools, yeah, we have to practice healthy empathy for the students, yeah? Yeah. The parents, Mm -hmm. our colleagues, and ourself. And when we do it, it has to be in the opposite order, whereas a lot of people go, empathy in school, student, student, student. I actually go the other way and go, no, 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 self first, colleagues second, then parents, then students. And the reason I say that is if you're mentally well, mentally healthy, feeling strong, good boundaries, understand what your role is in empathy, it's not to go and feel all the feelings of everybody. It's to share and understand feelings, perspectives, respond appropriately, practice self-care and bring your whole self to the next interaction. Support your teachers, understand that you're having conversations all the time and you've got each other's back and it's a safe space. Get the parents on board so that that then you are a united front. You are all facing the same direction. You're building trust. The parents trust you. Then the kids will trust you. They then have a safe space because the parents are looking at you positively. They're speaking about you positively. You've got this let's mindset let's see what we can do because ultimately you're all working in the same direction for the same goal which is student success which is student mental health which is student happiness and engagement Mm -hmm. and if you've got parents who feel disengaged if you've got colleagues who feel disengaged if you feel disengaged very hard then to get the students on board That's a great point, Leanne. Oh my gosh. If Yeah. When we talk about engagement, we do talk about student engagement and then we talk about teacher burnout, but it's really about they're not teachers or support staff, right? Um, And many staff in our school in in different ways. They're not only burning out, it's about they're not energized. They're not feeling energized, but they're not feeling engaged. And so are you saying that if if we tap into their... like building skills for them to be more empathetic towards themselves, their colleagues, Mm -hmm. parents, and students, Mm -hmm. they'll re-engage in a different way. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a a lovely research paper out of Iceland uh, by John Dotsteer and Christensen that talked about work engagement and empathetic leadership leads to work engagement, positive work engagement which leads to then well-being. Hmm. And what we do a lot of the times is we we flip that and we go, well, we're just going to focus on well-being, so we're going to meditate 
No, no, no. Quite often it's this beautiful top-down approach. So when we have empathetic leaders in the schools and that then, and again, it's not just the principal who's an empathetic leader. The teachers are empathetic leaders because that then gets engagement from the parents. Um, and the empathetic leadership from the teachers and parents then gets the engagement from the students. Right. And so when we're looking at burnout, for example, and engagement, if you don't know what empathy is, and Canada, the USA, Australia, we're all very similar. We all have this very much more is better mentality. Hmm. Yeah. So if we think that empathy is feeling the feelings and we think that more is better, and you put those two together and you go, oh, my God, I have to feel the feelings of everybody. And to do my job better, I must feel more. Right. And I feel your stuff and then I feel the next person's stuff and I feel the next person's stuff and I don't have that systemic support to take care of myself and understand myself, my own emotions, my own reactions, my own stuff. I got nothing left for this next kid. I got nothing left for this next parent because there's not capacity for that. I have to conserve my energy. Right. But if the whole culture is, no, 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 in order for us to bring our whole selves to that parent, that student, that colleague, ourselves, we need to understand that we are asking you to be present to listen, to witness, not to take on, not to carry. Love that. Um, and so not when, to take, sorry, let's hone in on that. Not to take perfect. on and not to carry. carry. So we're, we've got a lot of leaders of schools here, a lot of leaders of staff who they think that they need to carry their burdens. I know it. I hear it a lot with the principals we work mm -hmm. with. So yep. there's two different kinds here. There's there's people who buy into that and they're like, I've got to feel all the feelings of my staff and empathize and be vulnerable all the time with them. That's the way to do it. And then there's others like, no, I'm not doing any of that. And this is BS. Yeah. So how do you yeah. address each of those? So again, the three types helps a lot with that. So understanding that emotional empathy has healthy and unhealthy. Unhealthy is not sustainable. The, also, the interesting thing about unhealthy emotional if you think, Charlie, about when you're having a conversation with a friend and you're having a rubbish day, yeah, and you just you want to talk and you might get emotional and that's cool. You don't want them to feel exactly the same thing and be crying with you. Hmm. That's not what we want. Yeah. Yeah. But people think that that's their role. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want you to cry with me. I don't want you to tell me it's all going to be okay, but I want you to say, yeah, right, it makes perfect sense you feel that way. What can I do? I don't want you to be crying next to me so that I then feel bad about making you feel bad because I'm not going to tell you anything again because you're then not a safe emotional space. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I want you, and like one of the analogies I often give is a paramedic. I don't want my paramedic crying next to me I don't want them bringing the last person's stuff to me and I don't want them taking my stuff for the next person hmm. I want them to show up for me with a clear head 
be hugely present in that moment with me, make me feel like they've got my back, they're listening, they're in the moment, and then let it go and move on to the next person. I don't want them crying next to me. And we have this misperception that that empathy is I have to feel it and I have to feel more because that's what I need to do. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what they need. So when we always do intention and impact, your students don't want you to feel it for them. They don't want you to feel it like take too much of it on. They want you to feel it with them mm-hmm. and yeah. stand next to them and say, I, I got you. You got this. Like I got you. I'm standing. I'm right here next to you. And the trouble is then if we continually take on other people's stuff and we go, well, that didn't work because that's not actually what people want. It doesn't build connection. Well, that didn't work. And so they go the complete other end of the spectrum and go, well, I'm just going to switch off my emotions because empathy is dangerous. Empathy is risky. Empathy is vulnerable. Hmm. And it's changing our definition of what is useful, changing our definition of what is vulnerable because vulnerability, and this is like what Brene Brown talks about, vulnerability is not telling everybody everything all the time. It's in this context, vulnerability is not having an answer because that's uncomfortable. Right. Because if somebody tells you something or if somebody's experiencing something, you don't need to have an answer. Let it be. Take mm. that pressure off yourself to be right, to be useful. Yeah? Yeah. And then you are right. Now, vulnerability is not having an answer. Vulnerability on their part is telling you anything at all because they don't know how you're going to react. Vulnerability right. is letting go of judgment and going, yeah, right. How did that make you feel? And not knowing what the answer is going to be, not having an expectation of what the answer is going to be or how someone should feel. That's vulnerability. Wow. Going, wow, that's huge. I have no idea what to say to that. Thank you for telling me. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's let's see what's available. Let's. That's so much more powerful than, oh, you know what you should just do. Well, that because breaks we down that like- barrier, yeah, of that authoritative approach to leading. It's not it's not about that, Absolutely. but you also don't have to be a doormat and you also don't have to, like uh-huh. you said, take on all the stuff. It's so funny, Leanne, that you mentioned um, like paramedics because in, in the book, one of the examples is, listen, our teachers think of them as EMTs and first responders, right? And I yeah. give this whole scenario about like, Um, somebody imagine that you're lying on the, the, like you're in your car and you get hit by a truck and you get thrown out of your car and you're lying there on the cold pavement by yourself, but somebody calls 911 and I don't, is it 911 in Australia, by the way? Triple zero. Oh, I thought it was different. Okay. Or triple zero. And, uh, for Australian listeners and, and the EMT show up and you're right. So it's not that they don't care about you. It's not that they don't feel for you, but they've got a job to do. They've got to make you feel okay and stabilize you and then communicate with the next people to send you off to. And that's exactly what we explained it as, is let's let our teachers be that because we need them to be equipped to do that properly. But without this stuff you're talking about with the empathy, they don't really understand how they can do that effectively. 
So, wow. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Because okay. it's, it's, it's a balancing act. I actually did a podcast empathy and paramedics with Tammy Bullard back in a couple of years ago. And it's this balancing act because yes, in one part of your brain, you've got all the things that go ping. Like we've got, all right, we've got to stabilize. We've got blah, 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 blah. But you still have a human being in front of you who is terrified. You still have a human being in front of you who is more than a set of vital signs. Hmm. You've got a you've got a human being who needs their hand held. And that's the bit. I'm here with you. I'm doing all the things. I'm here with you. And that's one of the things that we found in um, when I was doing research into teachers and for presentations that I've given is that sense of success comes from standing alongside somebody looking in the same direction, looking for a common solution instead of addressing somebody from that expert role. Right. That's more powerful. So, it, it solves problems more efficiently, really. And we're, we're talking about a system, right? Absolutely. And so one of the, one of the questions that's really powerful, and this is sort of a design thinking question is how might we, how might we, is a hugely powerful and empathetic statement because nobody knows the answer. There's lots of options and we're doing it together. Yeah. How might we? So starting a meeting, starting a conversation or in the middle of a, a chat going, right, how might we work this out? How might we make this better? How might we, instead of you should just, yeah. very different. So those questions that we ask that are vulnerable questions because we don't know the answer how might we give me an example it makes perfect sense how did that make you feel so you're you're doing this with law enforcement and there are definitely officers in our in our schools so mm -hmm. and these are these are people who are supposed to you know have a strong kind of presence right yeah. so what will that do if we equip all the um the resource officers what do, right what do we do and what will that do i should say i mean you think about i mean there's a thing called white white coat adrenaline spike there's also police officer adrenaline spike because kids have been told since the age of three be good or i'll get the police to take you away mm -hmm. um which i was speaking to a police officer the other day he said that breaks our heart when we hear that you know because kids have been ingrained not to ask us for help. So they're not going to ask us for help. So they see us differently because since the age of three, mum has said, oh, like no tantrums or that police officer is going to come and take you. Mm -hmm. And that's then how they see police officers because it's been so ingrained. So we do have this automatic response to how we see police officers. Mm -hmm. They have to get over that first. So for them, it's being a human first and their role second. Yeah. And it's understanding the power of a conversation understanding the power of being seen understanding that potentially nobody has actually looked at this kid before and gone I see you like what's going on and asking a question as a human being by somebody who is this like larger than life character somebody who we don't even see as being a human because empathy goes the other way as well. Mm -hmm. So sure. a lot of times when I talk to police, especially school police, because I talk to a bunch in, in the States, it's 
start the conversation. Um, say something like if they're wearing a Raptors jersey. There you go. A Leafs, Leafs. Wearing <laughs> a Leafs jersey. Yeah. Talk about that. Find a commonality that you have. And that means they're more likely to ask you for help. They're more like if they feel genuinely seen, they're going to ask you for help. They're going to be more accepting of anything that you say because they feel like a human being in that relationship with something in common with you. Mm -hmm. Learn their name. Yeah, that's so big. It's so minor, but it's huge, isn't it? Even getting their name pronounced correctly and then spelling it right. Do you teach that too? Is that what you Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, the, yeah. One of the things we talk about, I get the, I get the people to guess, I go, what do you think is the most powerful word in the English language or in any language? What is the most powerful word? And people go love and peace. And I go, no, no, it's your name. Oh, that's great. The only word that will get you to turn your head. It's not love. It's your name. Hmm. How, like in the middle of a conversation, if somebody remembers your name and just drops it in casually, you go, you get a little, I'm, I'm visible. Right. They cared. They remembered me. Yes. Hi. Like instead of hi, hi, using it, not like ad nauseum, like, thanks, Charlie. What do you think about that, Charlie? <laughs> right. Right. Um, obnoxious. Yeah. But sh- that shows connection. It shows respect. It shows humanity. Mm-hmm. And then you get rid of that. Well, I am my role and my role only because people do not connect with roles. They connect with humans. And it does not make you less authoritative if people see you as a human. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's true between colleagues as well. It's true for students. It's true for parents. The more we can humanize people and look for what we have in common as opposed to how we're different and what roles we have to play and what masks we have on. Um, That's how you then face the same direction and go, right, what are we actually trying to do here? What is our purpose? Our purpose is to make sure that our students are happy and safe and healthy and get out of this thing in one piece. Mm-hmm. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe feel a little bit good about what they're doing in their school experience and their home experience and their community experience, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We want them to be happy, productive, engaged adults who are enjoying life while they're at school. Right. Yeah, I think we can get there too. I am so very hopeful about that. And it's because of this, it's because of these conversations and giving them hope with some action behind it. So you are, you actually do this, like this is your living here. So you are the founder of Empathy First and you do this training. So if somebody yep. wanted to reach out to you, Leanne, to do this training in their school, their district, their organization, yep. what what would they do to find you? So head over to empathyfirst.com.au. Um social media empathy first hq uh we do lots of online training so how to strengthen parent teacher relationships through healthy empathy we do empathy in writing we do empathy in leadership empathy in design and yes i'm in australia but zoom is a thing now so absolutely lots of what i teach is online uh we do have online training i've just created uh 
the emotional literacy boot camp because, <laughs> because a lot of times I'll stand up in front of a group and we'll say, right, we've got to share and understand the feelings. Right, let's name all the feelings and emotions we can. And we go, go. Hmm. And it's anxious, angry, afraid, happy, sad. Hmm. And I go, but so you're only painting with five colors. You're looking at a Monet, but you're going to do it with five colors. So hmm. everything that you hear goes through these five colors or these five lenses. Okay, let's expand that. Because then you understand if someone's feeling fragile, it might come out as angry. If someone's feeling overwhelmed, it might come out as annoyed. Right. So then how we interpret our emotions, what we think about emotions. So that's the Emotional Literacy Bootcamp. It's good fun. Um, yeah, well, that's available too, right? I have the link in the yeah. description. But where could they find that? Because it's such a nominal fee to go through that and to get that for staff is huge. It'd be a great PD. So where do, it's only $25 yeah, yeah. Canadian. So they would just download yeah, it. Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. Absolutely. You just work through it and it is a boot camp, So you only do like a little bit at a time because there is like uh, 20 emotion sets, which means you work through three emotions, go away, have a cup of tea, <laughs> take a week off and come back and work through another three. And we do a few scenarios, which is what emotions do you see here? Um, and one of them is, do you remember the movie Still Magnolias? Uh, yes, I do. I do. Remember the remember Sally Fields scene? Her outburst? At the Is it that one? Yes, her outburst. Absolutely. And you watch it with this new lens and an empathy wheel, like an emotions wheel in front of you, and you watch her again. Mm. Whoa. And you're like, circle, circle, circle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like and she with a new lens this. over the top. Right. And going, okay, yes, she's sad, she's angry, she's frustrated, she's afraid, she's happy, she's, and you just watch it unfold. Mm. And so, yeah, we do little bits like that as well where we go, right, what is what is this? What are we watching? What are all the emotions? How do we play with it? How do we give names to it? Yeah. Because that's, that's powerful. Where do emotions come from? A bit of regulation, a little bit of emotional regulation in, as well. Mm-hmm. That's a great activity to do at um, staff meetings, like just do a little piece at staff meetings throughout the whole year. And then also to do like an, a, like a special group to do with parents and get them in every so often, maybe once a month. It, what I, I know that that's sometimes difficult or some kind of virtual session, but they can, yeah, absolutely. Things, right. It's about connecting them and doing this together. I think that'd be so great. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it's on the website. If you go up the top, you'll see um, training and then underneath it says for individuals. Um, and it's on there. Great. So That's awesome. Fun. And you also have some other like just free resources as well too, right? Yeah. So free resources. I've got quizzes. How empathetic are you? How empathetic is your team? I have a free online course called writing empathetic emails. Um, I've got an empathy and leadership worksheet. I've got the podcast, which I haven't talked to teachers yet. I will. <laughs> you need um, to talk to teachers. <laughs> I need to talk to teachers. And education leaders okay. and school counselors. All of them. All of them. Oh, yeah. All of them. All yeah. of them. Bus drivers so, for crying out loud. Seriously. People in oh, our hallways. Don't get yeah. me started. So the, the the last episode was empathy and menopause at work. <laughs> the one before that was conversations about death. Mm. Um, we've got sex workers, paramedics, all sorts. And then the next four, hopefully, all going well. Empathy in the transgender experience, empathy in, and an emergency call center, mm. empathy and diversity and inclusion, and potentially empathy is a drag. 
Oh, nice. Nice. I love it. I love that you're touching upon those individually because people just need to tune into each one of them, right? Where, like, where, like how you can actually address each one and, and address our own feelings towards each one. I think that's where you're going with this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So empathy and disability inclusion. Yeah. Uh, was with an amazing woman named Ainsley Hooper, who is in a wheelchair. Um, and yeah, talks about her experience and what she wants and what she doesn't want and how we can all do this better, essentially. That's what we're trying to do yeah. is how do we do this better? How do we show greater empathy for people in certain professions and experiences? How do they practice empathy? Like what is what is the value of empathy in an like empathetic um, emergency call center? How yeah. do you do it without burning out? Right. Like, so empathy for and empathy from hmm. is an interesting conversation to have. It's good fun. I, lo- I like it. I can tell. I can tell. And I can tell you <laughs> what I love that you do. Oh my gosh, Leanne. I, I love that you simplify. That's what we do too, because you have to simplify it in a way that people can understand it. And I think your experience with doing the TED Talk probably helped with that, I would think, to streamline oh, your ideas. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And like I said, I'm a simple person, so I need to explain this so that I understand. Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking for ways to, let's say, talk about emotional regulation, I read lots of models and do lots of research and go, ooh, that one resonates. I understand that one. I can practice that one. So that's the one I use and that's the one I adapt. Amazing. Um, if, I don't, if I don't understand it, yeah, I can't even hope to explain it to someone else. I love it. I, I truly think we need that, especially in education, because that's, you know, I stand up for that. I do believe we can turn this around and look what it will do to our society if we all work together to get it done. And oh, right. And we have the data that shows that it does. That's the thing. Like one of the pages on my on my website is the impact page. And I've got impact reports, like examples of how people have made change, examples of just really good quality data about people who say, oh, I've never given money to a homeless person, but after the workshop I did. And you're like, yeah, because it's a human being right there. People who say, oh, I didn't rush my my colleague to the, to the ER when she said she was like feeling suicidal. I listened and I gave her a hug and then we worked out what was best for her. I didn't go into action plan mode. Oh my gosh, that is oh. so important. Oh my gosh, oh. that is a big deal. I, I talk to people who are using a threat assessment as their plan for mental health. And I'm like, it's too late at that point. That's not, that's not, that can't be the plan. Yes, we've got to do that. But these kids, when I worked in that hospital working in the crisis unit, these kids were coming in there and they were worse off because of that situation. I'm so glad you said that. If we can just Absolutely. include people to ask the questions and and not put the owner the ownership on them to deal with suicidal situations. That's not what you're saying at all. No, no, right. no, not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. Yeah. Not at all. But it's a millisecond yeah. of what is your reaction? How do you respond? Because I know for me, when I was at the depths, yeah. I didn't want an action plan. I didn't want everybody around me on red alert. I wanted a hug. Mm. That's it. I wanted someone to hold my hand and go, we got this. It's all good. Like yeah. whatever you're feeling is completely valid. It makes perfect sense. You feel that way. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. Let's try and make this easier for you 
I'm here with you and I'm not going anywhere. And I hear that, keep saying, Leanne, that it's not, that may not work for someone else, but the whole point is whatever works for them, whatever they need, and you're doing it with them. They're not alone. Yeah. And they don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have the answers. Nobody rocks up to a conversation with a PowerPoint slide full of here is exactly how I feel. And like, mm -hmm. let mm -hmm. them process the act of communicating, the act of letting it all out helps you process and understand your own emotions. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be told you shouldn't feel that way or have a solution for it. Just processing them and being given space to process an emotion and a thought and an experience and come up with and be empowered to come up with your own solution. Mm -hmm. Because what we're doing is when we, when we give somebody unsolicited advice or we find a solution, we try to fix it or we take their emotion, we're completely disempowering them. Yeah, absolutely. It makes, it can make them spiral. I've seen it. Yeah. 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 And then they feel worse Absolutely. and then they feel guilty and then they pull back even further and go, well, I'm not telling anybody anything ever again. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the, yes. And that's why the plan has to be preventative with some basic skills that are not difficult to do. I mean, it sounds like you're doing what we're doing and you're equipping them with, with information and skills and tools that they can just literally walk out of your session with and use them. Absolutely. They don't have to go back and plan for it. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because. You've got to take the pressure off yourself to have the right answer. Because the other thing is, if you have that pressure on yourself to have the right answer, to say the right thing, to be perfect, to be useful, if someone's talking to you, that's what you're listening for. We can only listen to so many things at the same time. So that's what you're listening for. Right. I'm looking for my cue. What can I do? What's an answer? In actual fact, we have to retune what we're listening for. And we want to listen for the emotion that's underlying the story. Hmm. Yeah. So if they say my boss or my, my teacher is horrible and you go, oh, yeah, you should just change classes or, yeah, yeah your, your teacher is horrible. Huh. How does that make you feel? Why do you feel like that? What makes you say that? Can you give me an example? Now the conversation keeps going. Because we've let them open up. We haven't just agreed with the situation. We're listening for and we're trying to learn about the emotion underlying it. And we're not being sort of, we're not on an emotional scavenger hunt. We're not trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. We're just giving them space to express it. Right. You know, that sounds really, is that frustrating? Yeah, it is. Or no, it's not. And you build trust that way. Yeah. So it's, it's retuning what we're listening for. Because that's where connection's built. Connection is built under the surface on that emotional level. Huh, they get me. They gave me space to be me. Yeah, that's really. And when we think about the best teacher we ever had or the best coach, we don't remember exactly what they said or did. And it's like Maya Angelou. People don't remember what you said or did. They remember how you made them feel. I remember feeling like I belonged on that volleyball court. Like I belonged in that class. Like I was being challenged. Like I mattered. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so I still play volleyball 40 years later, mm -hmm. 35 years later. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. 
I felt like I mattered. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I had potential and I was challenged to achieve it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And we do need to teach it. And I do play beach volleyball still too. And oh my goodness, I can't jump the way I used to jump. It's hard. <laughs> but I, I, can may may not, <laughs> I may or may not have two jerseys. <laughs> on one it says can't jump, on one it says won't jump. <laughs> it's fine. I'm 45. Oh, why not? I am at one with that. Me and gravity, <laughs> we're good friends now. Not quite the same as it used to be, but it's still fun, darn it. It's still fun. Oh, I come to life. I love it. I know, me too. Oh my gosh. All right. So everybody listening, listen up. You've got to go to empathyfirst.com.au because Leanne is in Australia. But Leanne is, I mean, you can get Leanne to come to the United States or Canada because or all over Australia because she's done work there already and probably beyond, I'm sure. Um, but there's also virtual options too, which is fantastic. And clearly people will need your service. So thank you so very much for being here, Leanne. It's truly been a pleasure. It's my absolute joy to talk to you again. I know. I love it. I love it so much. Okay, everybody. So if somebody needs to hear more about empathy in, you know, in your network, healthy please share empathy. this with them. I say that again. Healthy empathy. Oh, healthy empathy. Right. Cause we're getting it wrong. Aren't we? We're missing some of it. Not wrong. Just missing. We could fine tune it a little bit. Okay. Fine tune. Fine tune. Healthy empathy. We need to focus on the healthy empathy. Okay. So if you guys know someone who needs some healthier empathy, right? Um, please share this episode, rate it, review it. It helps us get some exposure for it too. So more people can hear about it. And listen, if you need to reach out and, and find out more about the training, just look at the notes. And again, go to empathyfirst.com.au. All right. Did I cover it all, Leanne? Sounds perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye.